Everybody comfortable? Yeah. Get your ass up when I'm talking. Hey, take it easy. It's showtime. It's showtime. Yeah. Feel the magic and soul of the YBs. Yeah. Welcome to the show. Take two. The Davis Show. I am your host, Kenneth Davis. Follow me at That's Davis. You know Ryan B. Ski, the executive producer of the show. Follow him at Ryan B. Ski and also Ryan B. Ski 1 on Instagram. And that is Ryan Bukovetsky, why I just said Ryan B. Ski. Uh, you definitely got a lot going on today. We're going to be joined by Brandon Pope from The Jam on Channel 26 CW here in Chicago. Uh, we're definitely going to talk about what took place in Kenosha, what's taking place in Kenosha, I should say, from uh, Jacob Blake to uh, Kyle Rittenhouse and also uh, all of the protests and all the rioting. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, Lovecraft and Chadwick Boseman's passing and uh, how that affected him. Um, but you know what? Right now, let's go off top. Off, off top? You know, off top, usually it's something that's triggered me, but we're going to do a little playoff basketball. And you know, I really want to start off with something. I don't know if it was last week's show, Ryan, or the week before, where we both basically said we don't trust Milwaukee. And mm-hmm. the reason that we don't trust Milwaukee really popped up Yesterday, last late, late late yesterday evening, when Jimmy Butler just went ham on them, like that was one career of, playoff high. That's what I was about to say. That was one of those like, damn Jimmy, I wish you were still here. Not to say you don't feel like that any other time, but to sit there and see just how he took over that game and everything that he was doing, and he just went at it. And he, I mean, again, he's a jack of all trades. He's a Swiss Army knife, but it's good to see him just offensively just dominating to serve himself and get it done. And basically, he sees a window uh, to the finals of Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat have put their gas on it, and they're going for it. And our, our boy, Giannis, man, basically didn't have a game that you, you were hoping he would have. Uh, I don't know if you saw what took place at the end of the game uh, when he was sitting there talking to the reporter, and the reporter asked him, did he ask the coach, could he switch off onto Jimmy Butler? And he was like, no, I just do what the coach said. And basically, why would you even ask that question? And even though I'll say this, because I know that was uh, – so that was big on morning talk this morning. I don't know how effective a 6'11", 7-foot guy is going to be on. I mean, yeah, Jim Butler can play small four, but a guard. You know what I'm saying? Not to say that there's mm-hmm. times you wouldn't want to see if Giannis could stop him. but I, And I know we're saying this because Giannis won the defensive player of the year, but I don't necessarily know if for a long time I want Jimmy Butler being guarded by Giannis Antetokounmpo. So I wasn't really as upset as uh, talking heads were this morning about that fact. Uh, but still – to see the Eastern Conference favorite team in trouble is uh, perplexing. But during this this whole bubble run, they haven't looked like the same team. The defense, is, the defense hasn't been the same. And teams still have kind of the roadmap that the Raptors used against them in the playoffs last year. So what were your thoughts about uh, the, the Heat versus the, the uh, Milwaukee Bucks? Yeah, you're right. We definitely talked about it. And, boy, you know, I love that sound clip of Jimmy saying how he's just – about the bubble. He's not down here for family. It's all business. Hey guys, it's so great to see family members in the stands. For the first time in over 50 days, the players get to see their their wives, their girlfriends, their children. It's, it's very exciting for them. But for other players, they didn't want their families to come in. And no offense to families, but Jimmy Butler said, this is a business trip for me. I'm not messing around. Everyone wants to have their family without a doubt. But we've been doing this for this long. What's another couple months? It is an individual decision. I respect that decision that my teammates make. But for me, I'm here for business. 
it, it reminded me of Jimmy being here, and it's funny seeing this Heat team. If you want to see the difference between the Bulls and the Heat, like you put Jimmy around a bunch of players that kind of fit his playing style, and all of a sudden things just really open up as a team because you can use him in so many different ways. He can be your defensive stopper. He can occasionally be your offensive stud, but he's an all-around like Swiss Army knife on offense. He can do a little of everything. And he gets to the free throw line, which isn't easy for a lot of guys. That's a that's one of the last skills you really got to learn as a superstar is getting to the line so that if you have an off-shooting night, you can still put in 20 or 30. And uh, for Milwaukee, you know, I just – I never liked the fact that they didn't have a true number two. Like Chris Middleton can do some good things, but he's Chris yeah. Middleton. and that's facts. And ever since LeBron – went there and Spolster really like figured out how to coach in the NBA. I mean, his defensive teams are usually very, very strong. Like the heat, I just equate defense, not only with Pat Raleigh, but now with Eric Spolstra. Mm -hmm. And I, I think we talked about in the text chain, like the things that I like about Toronto and Miami is I just think that their defense might be the best in terms of being dynamic. Not that Milwaukee wasn't the best defense, but you're seeing if you, they don't quite match up, their defense doesn't quite match up. Mm, I agree. You know, switching off uh, the game that's taking place right now with uh, the Raptors versus the Boston Celtics, who do you have coming out of that series? Ooh, ooh, ooh. I don't know. Like, I, I definitely – I've liked Boston, but mm. their lack of size really scares me. But it doesn't seem like that's going to be a big factor in this series. So I'm slowly leaning Boston, even though I really like Toronto. But – the problem with me giving a prediction is the reason why Toronto lost game one is Pascal Siakam didn't play at all. Like he played like the first few minutes and then he was done. So I don't know. I, I know we're team Raptors, but I, I'm a little shaky. Are you, are you feeling um, good about the Raptors? I don't, I feel like I should just leave it to whatever you just said, because that's exactly how I feel. Um, no, I, I, I feel like I want Boston to win because Tatum has won me over, and I uh, Jalen yeah. um, Smart is smart. Um, I, I like what they've done. I like Kemba, too. Yeah, oh, Kemba, too. I mean, but I'm, I was going to say I like what they've done after uh, Kyle oh, yeah. left is why I didn't <laughs> Kemba initially. Uh, but, yeah, I, I kind of I, – I, I think I prefer – it's, I, I shouldn't say I prefer because I kind of want the Raptors to win too because I really like the Raptors. But I feel like the Raptors have they've gotten their reward. Even it's good that they're proving that we're not just Kawhi, right? So um, mm -hmm. and I think we all believe that, but they're still not as good as they would be if Kawhi was still there. If Kawhi was still there, they would easily be the odds-on favorite in the East to make it all the way to the finals, if not perhaps even to win the finals if Kawhi was still there. So um, I'm leaning, I'm leaning Boston. Uh, I'm leaning Boston. I want to say that, um, but it's two really good coaches. I mean, I, listen, right. I, I think, I think in, you know, I, I can't say that. I was going to say, I think Nick Nurse is better than Brad Stevens, but the sample size is too small for me to really say that. So I'll go with Brad Stevens, but there was a, there was a little bit of um, animus with the team when Kyron was there. And I, I played some of that at the feet of Brad Stevenson. Uh, but coach mm -hmm. that and Nick Nurse has hasn't been a coach long enough for us to see how he would react in that situation. So I can't elevate Nick Nurse over Brad Stevenson. But it's two really good coaches. But I think I'm gonna go with Brad Stevenson, even though my I prefer Nick Nurse. Like I'm, Nick, I'm more of a Nick Nurse fan than a Brad Stevenson. Fan. Me too. I, I would maybe take Nick Nurse. I get why you're saying with the small sample size. Either way, the other is on the other's ass, big yeah. time. I mean, yeah. they're one and two. But let me ask you. 
let's uh, let's say the Heat somehow get past the Bucks, which we already are saying isn't going to be necessarily a stretch. Who gives the Heat a tougher matchup, Boston or Toronto? I think it's Boston. I think so too. I think it's Boston because of the the, the perimeter swing guys. I feel like would give the Heat more of a problem. Uh, so, and I feel like I feel like the Heat could get Toronto. You know what I'm saying? Me too. I feel like, I feel like the Heat could get. Toronto, so especially being more of a traditional team uh, with their bigs or whatever. Uh, so yeah, I, I would say Boston. Listen, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be unhappy to see uh, a Boston versus the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals. I wouldn't be, and it's like now if I told you at the beginning, yeah, you'd be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, you know, but now that we've seen how these teams, Boston was, both these teams were humming. But to see how they've been playing in the bubble and the legit star power, because I, I think Tatum, you can say, even if he, he was a star, then maybe after his rookie year he wasn't, and now he's, he's proven a star. I think Jalen Brown is rising up to become a star. Um, so, I, I, and you mentioned Kemba. Uh, and we all love the greatness of uh, Marcus Smart, uh, but yeah, man, I'll, I'll be I'll be interested in that because you know those teams will go at it. That'll be the thing too. Those teams will go at it, and also I'll say this about uh, Toronto: Toronto will be going at it with the Heat too. Like neither one of these teams are chumps. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They have some fire in their belly, so it, that will be pretty. That'll be a pretty good one. I don't know if it will be as good as the West, especially if we get what we the Battle of L.A. in um, Orlando. Uh, if that's what happens out in the West. But, yeah, I think uh, I'm, I wouldn't be disappointed to see those two teams make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Whoa. whoa. I got another question for go you. Ahead, go, ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. Just going back to the Bucks, really quick. Like, how close – like, what do they need to do to get this thing going again? Or is this just a bad matchup that there's really not much they can do? Is it Giannis or Bust? Like, how do you feel about the Bucks potentially? Like, because – more often, we're talking about them not making it to the conference finals, unlike the Clippers and the Lakers, when those are the top three that we thought all along. Yeah. Um, I think Giannis needs to go off. I mean, he only had 18 points. Uh, we're talking about a guy that – I think – didn't he only have like 12 shots or something like that too? I, I can't re- – I don't remember. But um, I think Giannis – I think Giannis needs to have a Giannis game. And, of course, you need to try to slow down Jimmy. But I don't think slowing down Jimmy will be enough because, like, the three-point shooters on Miami didn't even really go off. Uh, so like, so that's the thing though, but you probably need to try to get the ball out of Jimmy's hand, but then he's going to be tossing it to these guys, uh, knocking down threes. Uh, but you, Giannis has to go off. Like, that's the thing, but it's harder for him to go off, man, against that Miami team, man. And bam, is is built to take on a guy like Giannis. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? They basically that's a great matchup him, for them. They basically made Miami made him in the lab. Like, <laughs> Giannis, all right. <laughs> right, like. So, it's like Pat Riley was looking yeah. for a Giannis stopper. Mm, oh, I got you. I got You'll you. He'll come right. in handy against one of those biggins. So, man, I, I, Giannis has to go off. And, I mean, you mentioned that the other guys have to do what they do. And, I mean, I think we always say – and I, I hate to knock Chris Milton because of the player that he's become. Um, uh, but still, he needs to be the third best player on that team and not the second best. And this is the thing, too. If I was them, I don't know who they could trade. Because of the contracts and those, like who's taking a Chris Middleton right now with that contract? And your 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 draft pick, your draft value is low because you're going to be at the bottom of the draft. But they need to do something, a block, something big to keep Giannis moving forward after this season. You know what I'm saying? They need to do something major because he it's like it's been nice to see. And if he wins the MVP again, cool. He's been the best player, quote unquote, in the NBA for two seasons. But I I think they need to do what they need to do and to have a real legitimate all-star next to 
uh, Giannis, somebody who was an all-star before they got to be with Giannis. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, someone who was a, a dog, and it can fit because it can't just be anybody. Like you can't just go get Russell, Russell Westbrook, Westbrook and put him on that team because even you know of Giannis, you need, uh, you need guys that can knock down an open jumper, especially from the perimeter. So it can't just be any all-star, but you need someone who probably want someone who can definitely shoot, but someone who can facilitate and get in that lane so that you don't always have to go after Giannis coming downhill. Like that's that's what they need. And Giannis can he can he can sacrifice some points and some rebounds and some assists uh, to let somebody else get some of that shine because you're going to start taking some of that wear and tear off of him. Uh, but and that's I think that that's they have to do that this year because if I'm Giannis and it's not a knock on them, they've done everything possible to get to this point. But as far as like winning it all, like you you see now, and maybe he'll look at it and say the bubble. And the break is the reason that they didn't keep the same momentum that they had earlier in the year. And, and that'll be good enough for him. But still, man, that, that I, I would be afraid of him leaving. I don't know if he's going to ever go and stay like the rumors. I would hate for him to do that. That For him, the type of player that he is, that would be weak uh, for him. How about Miami? That's the other big one. Um, I feel like he'll be dope in Miami. Um, uh, don't say it. What would you, like, for instance, but I, what would you do about Bam? Because in a way, they're <laughs> ship his ass out. Okay, I'm not, not. I'm just asking you. I'm just asking you because they're similar players in a vein. Like you think Bam, I'm a, uh, um, Bam out of Bayou uh, averages what like five assists, something like that. Like he's he's facilitating. He's got his hand on that ball. It's just not like he's a, a big that can switch off on everything. All right, he's a, a multi talented player. So I, I'm just saying, if if that's what I'm sure Milwaukee would be happy to get him back in return because you are going to have to give up something sweet. Uh, but man, listen, that'd be bogus. As we just said, like everything that right. Miami said about Bam, they'd be like, yeah, you sweet. Yeah. And what you just said, like he needs some shooters around. He's got Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero. Like if let's say they trade Bam and all these first rounders, and I don't know, I guess you probably have to give up. Hero or Robinson, but you still got like Kendrick Nunn, one or the other, Jimmy Butler. They have other shooters besides those guys like Kelly Olynyk, who's a really good shooter. Like that would be a great situation for Giannis. I don't think, to be honest with you, I don't think after Bam and one of those shooters, you're going to have to give up that much more because I don't view this as Anthony Davis and the Lakers where he True. force his way there and the owner of, uh, of Miss Benson of the Pelicans basically didn't want to allow that to happen, or I don't know if it was Dale Demps, uh, but basically didn't want to allow that to happen, and the Lakers ended up having to pay through the nose. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's the same thing because the answer is going to be honest with them. I'm not resigning here, right? I'm telling you now so you know so you can get the best value for me. Uh, probably the only thing against I'll tell you this, what, why Miami would have to give up more, depending on what the other teams are offering to sweeten up the pot to get them because, man, every team in the – well, not every team, but a half – more than half of the league are going to come sniffing around to see if they can trade and, and get Giannis. You know what I'm saying? And, and mm-hmm. on top of that, would Miami want him to stay in the conference? Because I'm sure they're not going to trade him within the division. But would they want prefer for him to be in the conference or would they prefer to send him outside of the conference so they don't, they don't even have to see him uh, regularly uh, like that? Unless it was like the NBA Finals. Yeah, unless it was fun. or I mean, unless somebody gives them something to end the conference is so crazy that they'll be stupid not to make that trade. I mean, we've seen it before. Look at when we were thinking about the Don McNabb still had it, and Andy Reid traded him to Washington, and it was like, whoa, that's in a division, right? And Donovan was basically done. 
right? So mm-hmm. uh, it's been a lot of times that those old rules as far as, no, not in the division, not in the conference, man, you throw that, you throw that out with the baby in the bathwater, uh, depending on the value of what you get back in that trade. And then uh, how about out West? We got a pair of game sevens. We got the Lakers and Clippers moving on. It's a uh, same old story, but a lot of intrigue. Uh, Chris Paul, Mr. Nutmeg himself, and not the good nutmeg when you throw the ball between someone's legs. Um, it's just like the nutcracker or something. Father of the <laughs> nutcracker. Listen, came out, did his thing. Um, kept OKC in it. Going to game, game seven, I feel sorry for, far sorry for Russell Westbrook. Um, Ooh, how rough was that, though? I mean, coming back, uh, what we kept hearing about how explosive he was a few days ago, uh, coming mm-hmm. to help his team, and in all fairness, he was a hindrance. Um, those turnovers were – they were terrible, man. They were egregious. Um, there was a couple where it was like, what is going right. on? It's that bunny rabbit, energizer bunny, I should say, where it's just like, go, 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 go. And sometimes it's not time to – listen, you need to get your composure, right? But his one of his key assets is go, 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 go. And we know that in the playoffs that that usually doesn't necessarily work. Uh, hopefully – he can get it, get 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 back into his mojo, but man, he has to be rusty. I mean, just think about it. He has to be rust, rusty as you know what? Because wait, he he hasn't played in the bubble, right? Uh, He's, he, he might not have. No, because like, he, he came into the bubble, he came and in late, practice a little bit, and maybe he, played a game, but that's it too. I don't know. And if you're played, right; it might be none. I don't think he played because remember, I'll at, double check. At one point, people were saying. Why not rest him when it looked like at the beginning of the series that while Houston could beat OKC without him? Like, that was the mm-hmm. thing that people were like, you know what? You don't even have to play West Westbrook this series. So this is his first game back. So he's rusty as you know what. And he just – he flounders. I, I feel sorry for him. Um, I, I, hope he, I hope he gets it together because I definitely want to see Houston move on because that team seems like they're, they're more of a threat to the contenders in OKC, what it's, it would just seem like a, a cannon fodder is, is going to be given to because uh, what that's going to that team's going to play in the Clippers, right? Whoever wins that series plays Lakers. The, they play the Lakers. All right, so mm-hmm. be, that'd be like cannon fodder to the Lakers, basically, man. So no, I want to see. I'd rather see Lakers v Houston. All right, and hopefully uh, Westbrook will be better in that series than I would want to see OKC. It's, it's, I think it's time for OKC to exit the stage left. Uh, they've had a terrific season. Uh, for them to come back in a series that looked like they were done and, and take it to seven, look, hats off to Chris Paul, uh, semi-ageless wonder. Um, but, yeah, and it's and listen, I used to love him in Florida. Shout out to Billy Donovan. But, uh, yeah, it's time for them to go. Uh, NBA and the refs, y'all need to do what you need to do to make sure Houston makes it out to round two. <laughs> yeah, actually, he uh, last played the 11th in the regular season uh, against the Spurs. So he played, uh, I think, four games in the bubble, and then he got injured. Okay, and then hasn't played since Saturday. Yeah. Uh, wait, wait. You said you're saying Westbrook played four games in a bubble? Yeah, that's what I'm seeing on ESPN. Really? Yeah. Seven thirty one, eight two, eight four, eight eleven, and then uh, that was his last game until eight twenty nine. Okay. Okay. Uh, you, know I, you know what? I was confusing. My bad. I keep confusing the nine the, the, the games they played prior to the playoff start. That's what I'm confused. Mm-hmm. Yes, he played in the bubble, but he hasn't played in the playoffs yet is what I should say. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I want to like the Rockets. I, we've talked about this going back to the Dean Davis show, like before 
the collapse of everything. This is back in December when we were talking some NBA hoops and stuff like that. I've wanted to like the Rockets because they got Harden, they got Westbrook, two of some of my individual favorite players. But this is the stuff I can't stand about them in terms of picking them or anything like that. Like that was their game to win in game Mm. six. And now they can definitely win game seven. They're the favorite team, but this is the longstanding pattern of them not winning the games that they should win. And this is going back to the warriors when they had their opportunity to knock them out, couldn't do it. This was now this chance to just have an extra day of rest going into the Lakers. Now you go in, I guess maybe a more momentum, put that in air quotes going into Lakers if you advance. But to me, the Rockets, the analytics say that they're doing better on defense. Everything points to them still being the solid team and one of the best teams outside of the top three that we thought. But I don't know. I I don't like the mix. And if Russell Westbrook is going to play horrendous, like he's got to play big time for them to Mm -hmm. even be one of those potential elite teams. And that was just – terrible <laughs> I, I definitely I definitely agree man um, I'm looking forward uh, to see what I'm looking forward no I'm looking forward to the, the other game seven and that's Denver versus Utah you know what I'm saying like well let's just talk about that for a second what do you like about both of those teams just in general because I've been amazed oh. at that series okay one team I like a lot the other team, I like one player. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm, I've all, I'm always going to have an affinity for Michael Conley Jr. for being there with uh, Greg Oden and being looking at his second fiddle and being the guy to, to take for those two to have his long career and definitely get paid at one point, being the highest paid player in the league a uh, season or two ago. Uh, so I, I have an affinity for him. Uh, but like Rudy Gobert, you know, kind of gets on my nerves. So I, there's no love there. Um, so it's Donovan Mitchell in Utah. And I used to like Quinn Snyder. I believe he used to be when he was a coach like Missouri back in the days. And it, it was really because of his hair. Um, but um, it's definitely – does have nice fro or nice wave. Yeah, it's definitely Denver and how loaded they are. And I can pick several players on that team that I like. But, uh, man, Murray is – What do you think about him? I don't know. Like the whole who is he thing, he's him. You know what I'm saying? I heard um, heard someone. I can't remember who it was. I think it was maybe uh, Kendrick Perkins. I don't know what show he was on, but he was saying that somebody hit him up and said that he reminded them of, that Murray reminds them of uh, Gilbert Arenas. Now, what he can do, I could see that. From he can get a shot on anywhere on the floor. He can also get in the lane and do his thing. He's a combo guard. You know, he's also facilitating. I could see it. it doesn't look exactly the same as Gil to a certain degree. You know, since so someone to dribble, I I, mm-hmm. he, I just kind of how, how he holds his long, long offhand down low. I see a little bit of Gill. I can see Gill coming off the screen doing that. Um, but still, I mean, I would say what he can do is Gill. I've never – I think he's like the guy that was like before uh, I really started well, – I, I even was here or watching basketball, like uh, Tony with the Sixers when Barkley was there or like world be free, like these guys used to hear about that can get it from anywhere, but we didn't really see because we weren't born or we were too young to watch. Uh, I feel like he's somebody I didn't grow up watching. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, I can't put, cause you, you kind of forget he's athletic, you know, cause he kind of sometimes is a look like, yeah, he doesn't seem athletic, but he yeah. kind of is athletic. He's athletic. He's athletic. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know who that, I, I won't even say it's the same player 
Um, but maybe I don't, he's still not the same player, but I'll say like, just as far as you don't see him a lot. And then when you see him, it's like, well, maybe like a Mitch Richmond, because, you know, when he's in Sacramento, we didn't see him. But it's still two totally different games because this guy is also facilitating. Um, so I, I don't know. He a bad man. You know, both of those guys, Mitchell and him are bad. And this, they made this series one of the, the better first round series ever in a long time mm-hmm. ever. Um, so, you know, like, think about how... I don't think I've out. cared about Denver or Utah this much, maybe, no. ever. No, now you didn't care about Utah like this since the Bulls were playing. I mean, yeah. been thinking about anything back then. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Um, I don't think we cared this much. And, I mean, we didn't believe in those teams since Denver, since maybe Mellow, young Mellow was there. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, we didn't believe in those. Like, this Denver team, right? they figure it out. They can win the title in the next two or three years. If they figure it out, like if they figure it out, because you got to think, Michael Porter Jr. is on his rookie contract for what, two more years at least before they have to extend him? Mm-hmm. He plays rookie season. Um, I don't know if that counts as he, if he accrued a year or not, though. I, I, he came the same draft as Wendell Carter, right? And I believe correct, Carter correct. has two more years. Yeah, it's two more years. So you got two more years of not even having to pay him, right? Uh, you got Murray, you, you, Yoches, no, the Joker has, is, is, is signed up. Uh, then the, I know they're probably going to end up losing like Millsap uh, and probably Willie Burton and I'm, I think another player. But they can you can fill those spots because a lot of those men is now Michael Porter wow. Michael Porter Jr. is getting anyway. So maybe uh, Bull Bull develops a little right, bit and right. uh, that Grant kid, the uh, his yeah, brother. He may, or, he may no, he may be. That's he's. I think he's up to. Um, uh, forget which Grant, one of Harvey's kids. Uh, forget which one uh, he is, but he. I think he's up to after this season. But again, those are men, like all those wing guys are, those minutes are being taken up by, um, by Porter jr. Um, but Grant really found himself there. Um, he really found himself there. Do you, uh, so is it official? Is he the best player, Jamal Murray on the nuggets? Is he better than Jokic? Right now? I, w- I will have to see this he, right now. He is. Like, let's say right now you're the nuggets. And you got to choose to build around Jokic or Murray. I'm still – that's a hard one right there because I feel like – I feel like the reason that Joker – Joker provides them the ability to, especially as, as Porter grows older, to let him be the point, basically, point center, and you have all these shooters around him, and he's a shooter too. So it's not even like a situation like Giannis where he has to come barreling down to get the defense to collapse for him to do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He can sit there and, listen, stay out of the lane – and let Murray go and do his thing and not clog in the lane. So it's hard for me to pick and choose. I feel like – I want to say I feel like I can find a Murray, and I know that's crazy talking about how many 50-point games he's, he's hit, but I think I can find mm-hmm. three. I don't think I can find another Jokic. So for right now, I, I would probably – I would probably – I don't want to have recency bias because recency bias tells me to go with Murray. But I feel like still – until, you know what? Until Murray's in the top five in MVP voting, I'm going to go with Joker. Uh, by the way, Jeremiah Grant, mm. Jeremiah Grant, he has one more year left with the Nuggets before he's an unrest- unrestricted free agent. It's Jer- it is Jeremiah. It's, it's an I at the end of it, correct? Yes. J-E-R-A-M-I. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. Like, the idea uh, that Murray has just finally – establish himself as one of the best players in the league, especially in the West. I don't know if I'm there yet, even though he's putting together a really damn good case. 
Uh, let's flip it real quick to Donovan Mitchell. What? I guess if the Jazz were to lose the series, what do they got to do around Donovan Mitchell now? Listen, to be honest with you, I'm going to say this. Rudy Gobert's deal is about to be up. I'm not giving him super max money. Ain't happening, right? It's it's not happening. I'm not. There's only so much he can do. Um, I know he tries to be a better offensive player. Uh, sometimes they don't find him. Sometimes they don't find him for a reason because he, he don't know what he's going to do with the ball. Sometimes he's cutting. I'm like, give him the ball. Maybe the, the players, the heads down or whatever, but sometimes because they don't trust him with the ball. I know I just said that, but I'm just saying it again. Um, dude, first of all, I'm dying for Mitchell. I'm getting my <laughs> the hell out of Utah. All right? Like, I'm not, dude. I know he has to sign. I know he has to get the next deal. But, dude, it's just, it's no way, especially with some of the stuff that he said with the antics of some of the fans and some of the stuff that he's mm. given, that it's just like, dude. Yeah, we were talking about sundown cities. I think Utah's a sundown state. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do that to Utah. I've never, I've only flown I've been to Utah. I've only flown. I may have driven through Utah a little. I don't know. Um, but still. Uh, yeah, no. nobody does. It's a haze. And then you get out of there and you feel a lot better. Hey, it's not. Uh, it's, it's not, I don't think it was. Something in the air. A rest stop in the green book. Um. <laughs> Real quick with Rudy Gobert. You know, my biggest problem, like he, like you just said, he's limited offensively. He can't shut down Anthony Davis. What are you really doing for me? Uh-huh. Like, that's what I need you to do if I'm Utah. Like, Take the Joker out. Take Davis out. Like, anybody that's around your size, can you just take them out of the game because of your defense? You can't do that. No. He's more of a, just a solid rim protector than a, a, a one-on-one. And a, you know, he's a good team defender, but how much? Does, how far does that get you if you're he's not, not a, a lockdown defensive player? Yeah. Like, he's not Kevin Garnett when Kevin he's Garnett not a, was the focal point and could not shut down someone guy. like that. He's not an on-ball guy. He's the help. He's the help defender. You know, he's the rim protector and the help defender. Uh, the Can't give a max deal to that. He's like Willie D. He's the cleanup man. I know that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I can't. I mean, he's already got nice change, but I'm not super maxing it. You know what I'm saying? But then this is the thing. What are you going to get for him? Because how many teams are like? I mean, I'm sure there's some teams that don't want him, but how many people are going to want to pay that price tag that may come yeah. up with that? So that's that's kind of the issue, you know. Say so how many teams are a, a, a defensive center, uh, you know? what I'm saying uh, away from winning it all. Like h- how many? You know? what I'm saying I don't, most people don't play basketball like that. Most people are fine if you play small ball to a certain degree. So uh, yeah, I, me personally, uh, again, I can't. I don't even want to go into my Rudy Gobert disdain because it's just petty. Um, so <laughs> I just I don't. It's petty. Uh, from crying about the all-star team thing. Was a defensive player all-star? Yeah. Was it both? All right, from from that. Grabbing microphones. Grabbing the mics for Lerona. Still blah, blah, blah. It's just, I'm, I'm, and I, I, I like when coming in the league, I, cause I, I really like Rudy Gobert because I think, I think him and Giannis came in the same season. I want to say that. And I remember both of them being at the draft and being like, and this was the time where a lot of Europe, European players would still stay overseas for a few years for some seasoning. And both mm-hmm. no, I'm coming this year. And I remember saying, I like both of these kids at that point. So I think him and Giannis were in the same draft. Because you think about it, they both are coming out of max contracts in about two seasons. You know what I'm saying? So I think they were in the same draft. But yeah. Yes, Giannis and Rudy, 2013. Giannis yeah, went 15th. 
Rudy went 27th. Yeah, dude, I'm not. And I, I, when, they, when they said they were there, because they were also like sitting in the audience. You know what I'm saying? They were mm-hmm. they weren't lottery picks. Uh, so I like that in them when they did that. So, uh, yeah, but I, I'm now I've broken away from the Rudy Gobert camp. I, I am on an island away from the camp. I'm, t- I'm tired of it. I'm tired of the Rona. I'm tired of the crying, even though there's nothing wrong with the man crying. But I'm tired of the crying. All right? I'm, I'm done. I'm done. In case you're wondering, the Bulls picked Tony Snell, number 20 in that draft. The great Tony Snell, all right? with When he had the, 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 the straight backs, he looked like <laughs> the, 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 the West Side Sphinx, all right? When he had the <laughs> Didn't he have a cat nickname that's coming to my mind? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I know me and uh, uh, Brian Crawford definitely had a lot of jokes as I used to throw Tony Snell at him and he used to poo-poo all over Tony Snell's whole game and his whole life. I wish Tony Snell, Tony Snell nothing but greatness. Let me say that too. That, I, that, I want to say that. Listen, I like Tony Snell more than I like Rudy Gobert. That's saying a lot. All right. That's saying a lot right there. Well, that's <laughs> a pretty low bar, right? That, uh, he didn't uh, need a lot to get. To get. Jack right. that one. Right, right. I'm, I'm still saying a much more accomplished player. If you told me I could have Tony Snell and Rudy Gobert, I'm taking Rudy Gobert. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you watch one of those equine things where they're jumping over the high bars uh, and it's all this tension. Like the Rudy Gobert bar is low enough that a donkey's like jumping over that thing. <laughs> we don't even need a prize stallion for this one. No, not the go not the Gobert. Well, my other last thing with the West, Lakers look fine. Clippers uh-huh. look fine. Are they – does either have a potential scare in the second round? When you look at even just – I'll give you all four teams. It's like in Denver, Utah, oh, Houston. Okay, so I don't think the Lakers have a fear going against Utah. And I think they have more Houston, but I think they can beat Houston. Who's guarding Anthony Davis? You know, well, it's it would be the Lakers are either going to play OKC or Houston. I'm sorry, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Utah or Denver is going to play the Clippers. Yeah, that's what I say. Houston. I'm talking about Houston versus the Lakers. That who's going to guard Anthony Davis? Like PJ. Yeah, right. PJ Tucker ain't going to be able to stop Anthony Davis. All right. PJ and Robert Covington. Listen, that's like so. I, I, I know that Green is playing well at uh, being a. A point center for them at certain points of the game, but uh, yeah, I think the Lakers beat either one of those teams. I think the team that is the team that nobody wants to play, uh, if I was the Lakers or if I was the Clippers, is Denver. And I would say I'm going Clippers, but Denver could get two. With PG doing what PG's doing, man, I don't even know. Oh, that is a little scary. Because if since the thing too with Paul George, I'm not just talking about the, the the offense and how he has been lackluster. Sometimes, when we know your offense can help you on the other side of the ball, because when you're feeling confident in yourself, so you're not even getting prime defender Paul George, right? So if I had regular Paul George, and we're like, all right, you two, basically, you know, get out on Murray. You know what I'm saying? Porter Jr. Porter Jr. is still too young, really, to where, you know what I'm saying, he should affect you, affect you. Um, not to say he still can't get lit. Um, I, I'll be fine going with the Clippers. But with Paul George being like how Paul George is, I still will pick the Clippers, but it's, it's, not, it's not the same. It's just, it would have been the, the four to two Clips. Man, I could see this going easily six to seven games 
especially Jamal. Put like this too, though. We haven't seen Jamal Murray do this to another team. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So maybe I'm wrong in that. Um, maybe he's just matching up pretty well with Maybe Utah. it's matchups, but also it could be one thing that we've all talked about, having no fans there. And he's going ham because that pressure is off his shoulders and he's basically playing in an open run um, with more structure. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I I will have to say, if Jamal Murray plays how he plays, I'm still taking the Clippers, but I wouldn't be surprised if Denver beats the Clippers. You know what I'm saying? Let me me say that. And, yeah, man. And right now, in in some ways, and he is my coach – Quinn Snyder can get it at, at, at uh, I mean at uh, Doc Rivers. You know what I'm saying? Like so, and they got so they have so many weapons. I know the Clippers have so many weapons too, but the Clippers' defense just doesn't seem right. And I mean, from what we thought, like from Montrez Harrell, uh, yeah, Morris's up goal, and down. Yeah, it's just the deep. Like that, if their defense was what, and, I, and in some ways we never really got to see it because they never played with each other with low management and injuries during this year. But if it was what we thought the defense was going to be, and Patrick Beverly is hurt, you know what I'm saying? Like, is he going to be able to really go? You know what I'm saying? So, um, I don't know. That's that's going to be an interesting series, to say the least. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, if you ask me right now who would be the best defensive team from L.A., it's the Lakers, and you would think with Avery Bradley and Rondo being out that the Clippers mm-hmm. should easily be the best overall defense of the L.A. teams. And I, I'm with you. I think they're struggling a little bit, and I'm not exactly sure why. Maybe it's just, you know, personality a little bit, maybe inefficiency on offense, which is leading to some bad defense, like you pointed out. Um, whatever it is, they got to get going. And for the Lakers, this is, a, I think, pretty, pretty pretty for them. Like, I'm with you. They're going to probably be – I would say they would probably dominate OKC and manslaughter Houston. Like, I don't see a tough series at all from either of them going up against the Lakers. So they should waltz right into the Western Conference Finals. And if you're the Clippers against the Nuggets or the Jazz, I could see that being a 6-7 game series. I'll say this, though. Um, With the fact of Damian Lillard going out and the fact that – uh, Portland doesn't play any defense, so you're not really it, – it's not really like it, it takes you a lot to score. So it wasn't like the Lakers True. were exerting a lot of uh, energy on – as much energy on offense as they usually would against a team that plays very good defense. I'm going to say that uh, the Houston Rockets are going to give them some fits from their guard play because of the guys you mentioned that uh, haven't been there, in particularly Avery Bradley. Uh, deciding to opt out. I think that's still going to be some issue when it comes if, – if, and that's if – Russ has his ish together. You know what I'm saying? I'm not now. I'm not mm-hmm. saying pick Houston to beat them, but I think the fact of because if you if you really look at it, you were going against bigs. Like the part of the reason the Lakers got off is because they let Anthony Davis go against those bigs with Portland. You know what I'm saying? Outside of Damian Lillard's injury, and also see Dave McCullum having a broken back, um, a fracture in his back rather, but still a broken back. Oh. Um, yeah, so wish him the best. But I do think if Westbrook is and also Gordon is back to getting his thing going in Austin Rivers. Uh, so I do think uh, that they're going to give them fits, but I don't know. I don't necessarily think those fits are going to be a threat to taking the Lakers out of the, the playoffs. I think a big thing that, and this is of course assuming Houston wins that game seven, but I think the big thing would be Anthony Davis has to dominate that series. And I would expect him to, if he doesn't, Houston definitely has a chance in that series. Oh yes, yes, yes. And double yes. Um, yes. Like he has to play the same way. And the thing is, there's no reason he shouldn't. I mean, right? At, who's at, who's matching him up? 
at least uh, Portland was throwing length at him, right? Like here, Whiteside and yeah. uh, Nurkic, like some good, you know, yeah. defensive talent. So yeah, dude. I, if he doesn't, if he doesn't continue that, but again, I'll tell you this. And let's just say Anthony Davis didn't. I still got to see somebody beat LeBron for me to say that they're going to lose. Like I, I do because I think I think LeBron could make. Is a chance he could one man Houston, but it would be hard because at that point, uh, um, Harden would probably be trying to do the same thing to Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I, so, is Harden tired again? Has he officially played enough uh, games? Too many minutes. Too tired too, too, too for, too the, minutes. for the for the postseason. Uh, the playoffs. I'm worn out. I'm worn. Down. I've had a four month break, but we've had game twenty, so I'm done. All right, coming back, we're going to have Brandon Pope, reporter, anchor for The Jam on CW26, to come join us and talk about everything that's going on with social justice. And also, we'll get into a little bit of pop culture and leave it on a live note. Davis Show. Davis in the air. Deep left. It is gone. That's a grand slam. All right, The Davis Show. And we're lucky enough to have a former friend of the show, uh, to join, well, the former friend of the old show, I should say. Uh, <laughs> uh, but now he's a friend of uh, the Davis show to join us, and that is one Brandon Pope. He is a reporter and anchor for The Jam and uh, CW26. Uh, does great work. Um, enjoy you. I, I see I'm proud of you, to say the least, my friend. Like, it's your kind of brother I like. <laughs> you know, real quick on a light note, and tell you one reason I like you. Um, for the Big Bone Brothers, your swagger is high. Right, like you, uh, I appreciate that, man. You know, swag, it's like because it's hard being a big bone brother. Like, for instance, people like to see NBA for slender frames and Italian soups. You know what I'm saying? But for the big bone brothers, when I see you out there, I'm like, oh yeah, brother, you you make us you make us seem comfortable and fit out there. So one, let me ask you this: What tips do you have for the fall for us big bone? Like, what are the essentials I need? I know we're still uh, shelter in place, but let's just say if we were, what are my three essentials I need this fall? To be a big bone brother, but but to look GQ to say the least. Hey, my man, it, it's not easy because it's hard to find good fashion for big bone brothers. The shoulders, man, mm-hmm. the shoulders take up too much. I'd say get yourself a really good cardigan. I say get yourself a couple scarves that you can just throw on with different outfits, different t-shirts, different button ups. Um, and your shoe game got to be on point. I guess that's that's a big part of it too. You get those together, or have a nice blazer. You just throw over a T-shirt. Like, you can really still have some street style, but class it up a little bit. And, yeah, do the GQ thing. You know, big boy GQ. Big boy GQ. Like <laughs> you say, the shoulders, the arms sometimes. The oh. arms too, the, like, the arms. Won't even get through the sleeve. Won't even yeah, get through It's like, oh, listen, you try to put on, like, nope, take it off. It's not going to work. This is not going to work. But, you know how hard it is to shop for yeah. clothes that fit? Right. You know, like. It's, it's especially dress clothes, man. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you try to get a blazer, I get mad at these skinny guys and can buy stuff off the rack. Me, I got to buy, like, big and tall, huge shack-level stuff and have it, like, really tailored in. Tailored in. Yeah, huh. yeah, dude. That's a yeah, big dude. show. And then the thing I'm is glad finding, that you understand my struggle. I'm glad I'm not alone in this. No, I totally understand it. And then on top of that is finding a good tailor to necessarily – there's nothing worse than, like, having a new tailor and then coming back and it's like, this is not – I did not like this cut right here, buddy. Right? Like, look – Nah, I didn't want my ankles showing right here, buddy. Not like that. Like, it's, like, it's, it's nothing worse. But, yes. Well, you got the 90s draft cut. You exactly. Don't that none, none of that. None of that. But, look, 
I, we'll, we'll definitely get into some more light stuff at the end because I definitely want to talk about pop culture uh, after we talk about uh, Chadwick and, you know, where Black Panther is going to go. And also I want to talk a little bit about Lovecraft culture with you uh, towards the end of the interview. But I want to really start off with the social justice thing because last week I bandied about in my mind who I wanted to talk to about this. And you were one of the people that, that came to my mind about it. I want to reach out to one of my brothers here in Chicago uh, to, to talk to it about it. So one, you live downtown. Is a joke from before you're downtown black. Um, you live downtown, and when when all the, the down is downtown black, but down, yeah, is down, downtown is downtown black. When so listen, being someone who lives in that neighborhood, uh, when the rioting and stuff took place, what was your emotions? Because I'm sure it had to be a mix of emotions. Yeah, it's weird. Um, it's weird because it is your community, I get right. Um, so in June, when all this is popping off, right, um, and this kind of like shows the privilege I have living in the Gold Coast and downtown area. Uh, it was like maybe four o'clock and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go for a run. You know, just do some- Four o'clock in the morning, a, a black man at four o'clock in the morning. Oh, no, no, this is 4 p.m. Yeah, okay, PM. okay, I was about to say, I was about to say, that's the privilege. Uh, I ain't waking up that early to run. I used to- Okay, okay. At 4 p.m., okay, and it's 4 p.m. And this is when protests are going down. Um, this is when they're battling at Trump Tower. And we're just about to get to where things really pop off, right? But I'm just like oblivious to all this right now. I'm just like, oh, I just want to get my run in. So I run through Mag Mile, go all the way to Trump Tower, you know, stand aghast and watching what goes down, getting stuff on my phone, sending it back to the station um, so that people can record and document. Run back in Gold Coast, and that's where stuff is really starting to pop off with the looting, broken windows, and stuff like that. And so I'm sitting there with uh, different neighbors, all white, mm-hmm. and they're just, gosh, oh my gosh, you know, and, and horrified at what they're seeing. And I was also shocked, but um, I wasn't um, as fearful as they were. They had a fear mm-hmm. you know, inside of them. They, they were scared. They were, felt like they were in danger. Whereas me, a little background on me, I grew up in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, yeah, so you've been through it. In Avondale, one of the roughest neighborhoods. I grew up in, you know, low-income housing and stuff like that. So for me, there's no threat here. And for the everyday lived experiences of people that live on the south and the west side, to, to, to hear someone say they for their life in the Gold Coast is laughable, right? So, you know, not to dismiss people's feelings, but, you know, it's just been, it's been complicated to see and hear the rhetoric. One thing I do, and this is, you know, one thing I do as a black man living in these spaces, uh, sometimes you kind of have to, is I just kind of take things in. Right? I, don't, I don't fight people on that, right? So I heard a lot of backwards talk from people in the Gold Coast, problematic talk. Why would they destroy? Why would they destroy their own communities? You know, why would they? You know, ruin their protests this way? Why would they? You know, and things like that. And I'm just taking it in, you know, and letting. I'm not going to do whole arguments with people in the street and stuff like that, um, and bring attention to myself that I'll need to with police already, you know, out looking for uh, people that might be starting trouble. So, you know, it just there was a range of emotions that night, man. I'm I'm. And then what really hurt me, though, was seeing it spread to our community, seeing it spread to the South and West Side. Um, Looting, I don't think anyone actually thinks looting is okay. 
right? When it's when it impacts our mom and pop stores, right? Right, right. When it closes the CVS or closes the drugstore, grocery store that grandma needs to get to to get her medications. Like mm-hmm. one day, two days, three days of that being shut down is problematic. And that's what happened, right? Um, but I was also inspired the next day when people got together and cleaned up. They right, got together right. and said, we're going to take care of this, right? So I think there was a lot of ugliness out of it, but there was a lot of beauty out of it too. And mm-hmm. I think that Chicago, we got to get real about the reasons why we reached that point. It's been right, boiling right. for a while, and it isn't just because of George Floyd. There's a and lot look, of stuff, you know? And look, it, it happened again three weeks ago um, when the looting took place. Uh, uh, and I, I wanted to know, one, what, what do you feel about the city's response to the one from a few weeks ago uh, from the incident? That Well, they said it started because of the incident that happened in Inglewood. That's what was, was told to us. So I'll, 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 I'll at least say that part as far as the narrative. And um, what did you think about the city's response? And have some of your neighbors begin to start to look to move because they just, they, they feel that it's unsafe downtown. Downtown is always, well, it has not always been safe. In the 70s and 80s, it wasn't, it wasn't as safe as it is now. They, they really rejuvenated it. But how many neighbors are talking about moving? Yeah, you know, uh, when it comes to neighbors in the, in the area, I've heard rumblings of talk about moving, but nothing too serious. Okay. Um, people that are talking about moving, you know, they have the privilege of, you know, moving. If they're looking at, area, they're younger, younger um, people in their late 20s, early 30s, who, um, you know, they, they can look at a place in South Loop or look at a place in Wicker Park. Um, so it's, it's nothing for them. Um, that That's what I hear from the most, right? I think people float it up as a possibility, but really okay. the process of leaving a community that you've lived in for a long time, you've been there for a while, it's not an easy place to leave. Um, mm-hmm. And the way they've ramped up police presence, I don't know how anyone can necessarily feel Unsafe. Yeah. It was threatened in this area. Mm-hmm. Even even when the looting and protest was going on, it still it doesn't match the terror that communities face because of gun violence on the south and west side every day. So it just mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't match up, right? Like the people, you know, on eighty seventh and, and further, they're the ones that you know seriously want to move, right? They just don't have the resources. Mm-hmm. That's the tough part. So that's, it, it's tough for me to reckon with people talking about moving from Gold Coast or downtown. Where are you going to go? Like, you know, violence, it spreads. It can get anywhere, you know? You, right. you can't just up and leave just because one bad thing happens. Correct. And I mean, even outside of the looting that took place, we've seen shootings downtown at a rate that we've really never seen. So again, like you're saying, if you're living in Chicago, there's going to be some unsafety to us. It's kind of like, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but like I remember the old phrase about living in cities, basically it's not for women and children. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it's a, it, things can happen uh, inside of a city. So yeah. But what is, how did you feel about the city's response to the last looting that happened uh, three weeks ago? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to, opine too much on it. I think that um, Chicago police face a tough battle. Um, I know some police officers um, and the system itself is, you know, inherently problematic. That's across the country um, and inherently racist across the country. But there are people that genuinely want to do good through policing. Um, and in situations where, you know, they're sent out to, you know, you know, um, handle these protests and the protests, people end up 
outside agitators come in and just make it something it's not. Um, a lot of those police officers do fear for their safety. They got families back home and things like that. So I get that perspective. However, I do think that police definitely escalated things. There were some police that escalated things. I saw videos of police grabbing things and punching people. And mm-hmm. you've, seen, you've seen the videos, right? Yeah, yeah, the young lady that got her teeth like cracked open or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the kettling, the process of kettling where you're uh, kind of trapping protesters mm-hmm. into one area where, and they can't even like leave if they want to. Mm-hmm. Uh, we saw some of that downtown as well. And that process of kettling is dangerous. And many have railed against it, including police around the country. So to see that was disheartening as well. So I think the, the police have a lot of soul searching to do. We as a community also do, but the, the police in general, seeing David Brown, superintendent, not even really address those practices that there could have even been the possibility of his officers escalating things was was disheartening to see as well. Um, and being a black man, hopefully, um, you know, he's able to talk to protesters and have that dialogue because uh, from what we as journalists see out there, they are attacking journalists too. I mean, journalists are, are getting, uh, you know, uh, kettled in and, uh, you know, getting pushed down and all kinds of things like that. And, and so we're experiencing the same thing these protesters are, and it's not right. There's got to be better relations in that Yeah, there seems like a disconnect when it comes with, with David Brown, and I hate to say that. I hate to say about any superintendent, but let alone a brother. Um, I, it's, it's early, but you know what? I shouldn't be able to say it's early when this could involve people getting hurt in people's lives, because that's always the most pertinent thing that's going on. And, I'm, and that's, a, that's a large and a hefty role that he has to play, but he's not winning. They're, they're both not winning, uh, to say the least, um, him and the mayor. Let's just, just be honest. Um, it's a tough dice. That they, they got, got some tough dice in front of them, too. I mean, right, right. David Brown started during the pandemic, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's when I think a lot of things, the, com- the combination of having to stay indoors, job loss and everything really bottled up like i can't blame the police for the spike in violence correct yeah what i blame is the system itself in the years and years and years of disinvestment in our communities and economic anxiety real economic anxiety not the stuff that uh people in maga hats talk about right Um, (laughs) this is the this is real economic anxiety like you know i lose my job i can't see my kids that type of thing right in a community where you also have to fear for your kid's life because they can be shot by a straight bullet. Like that's the type of stuff, it's tough for police to, to, to handle all of that. And it's tough for David Brown being an outsider to Chicago as well, right away to just kind of be thrown right into that. So I sympathize with him there. It's a tough job, um, but the clock is ticking and there's so much blood that's been shed and people want answers and they want solutions. and uh, one thing that he did that I know a lot of people in the community were kind of like, you know, scoffing at. He came in right away, talked about he wants to roll out his community policing strategy, community policing. You know how, how many times you've heard that buzzword, community policing? Yes. yes. Uh, too many. Yeah. Like that's this end all be all buzzword solution is if police officers go out in the community and play basketball with kids, stuff, stuff like that. It takes way more. And I'm hoping 
praying that the department does see that, especially with their consent decree and their reforms. And there's good people in the department. There's great people in that department, great police officers who do want to want to see change. Black police officers that want to see change. Uh, but it just takes a full-scale system shift, and that starts from the top down. I agree with you, Brandon. Uh, the Davis Show sitting with Brandon Pope, reporter and anchor for The Jam on Channel 26, also CW. Um, let me ask you this, bro. Last week, starting with last Sunday, was a trying week. Um, basically, basically, I'll say Monday when we probably majority of us saw uh, the Jacob Blake shooting, uh, assault rather than shooting. And then you have a couple of days later, the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, double murder and assault. And then it got problematic even more. We found out that Chadwick Boseman had colon cancer for four years and was battling it. Um, I know for me, um, and usually I, usually I stay away from um, the attacks on black people when it first happens because I, I don't know how triggered I'm going to be. And I, I hate to let social media control me in that way where it can trigger me at any moment. But I was hurt when I saw um, that man get shot seven times. I remember the first thing I thought was, well, if, he, if he's alive, he's paralyzed because that was to the back and that was seven shots. But one thing that was different for me was after the Cal Rittenhouse and we saw the videos of the police passing, tossing him the water and telling them about their appreciation for him. I became angry, you know, like in a way that was like for two days, I, I was ex exceptionally angered. Uh, that and I actually wanted to harm someone and I usually don't let my anger get me to the point of wanting to harm someone how did you feel about what took place in Kenosha last week and how, just how did you how did you move about and how did you keep making moves because you still have to work you still have to do what you need to do yeah you know what you're saying is so um, relatable I mean uh, I, I, I stupidly watched the video I keep telling myself I'm going to stop watching these videos but you i'm also in this position in the media where you know you kind of feel this obligation being in the know to do so um but it it, it uh it messed me up man it messed me up um watching that and in front of his kids um they all messed me up but that, that one you know seeing the gunshot seeing just the the excessiveness um, whether he had a knife or not, whether he was going for a knife or not, you know, I, 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 I what also gets me, so you, you experience this trauma watching this video, right? And then you see people literally saying why he deserved to die. As if, you know, it, it's police's job to be the jury and executioner for a wrong action. You know, Jacob Blake, who maybe he had a record, maybe he, was, he did something, maybe he, even if he grabbed a gun or grabbed a, a knife, seven shots in the back? Like, you can't have, there's no non-lethal options you can go with there? What are, what are your tasers for? You don't, you don't have those? Like, it just, it just, it, and just, so you see these people arguing for why this person should have died. Mm -hmm. And you think, well, well damn, that, Jacob Blake could be me. And, and you know, that same person, people, that, well, it starts as people you know, when people you know start doing that, right? White people you know. Damn, is that how you, you do me? You know me. You're one of the good ones. 
I'm supposed to be one of the good ones, right? But if you just went off of the what what goes out there, you're gonna be like, oh yeah, well, he had a knife on him, so should have should have complied like that. That is uh. And so when so when you hear those things, you have to constantly rationalize and explain your your sense of being and your right to live and your humanity and his humanity and our right to just just be and exist. It's exhausting, bro. It is so exhausting and draining. I, I weeped. I cried. Um, my mom, you know, God bless her soul. She's always calling me when this stuff happens because she's worried about me just being in Chicago in general, being a black man. Um, and then what really did it for me was Chadwick. Because uh, that was unexpected. And it was on... A weekend, it was it was from a week where I needed a, a place to just like, a weekend to just like vent, right? And just have, have, have fun. Had my girl in town, um, had some friends in town, we're kicking it uh, in South Loop, and the notification drops. And just <sighs> changed, you know, the whole vibe, right? And I talked to my nephew, five years old, big Black Panther fan. He's got Killmonger's toy. He's got the Black Panther toys. He's got the claw. He's got it all. Got a costume. He walk, walks around in. He called me and he was on the, he was, well, my mom put him on the phone and he was crying and he was saying, Black Panther died. Mom, mommy said Black, uh, mommy said Black Panther died and, and Grammy said Black Panther died. And hearing him cry and say that made me just like so down. Because I'm thinking like, young man, this, you're breaking over this right now, right? And you have so much more pain to endure. So much more pain to endure, you're not even done. So that right there, that really, then I had to check myself. We as black men, we do push off mental health. We as black people, we just, you know, uh, lower the shoulder and push through, right? And I've been doing that, I do, I do that all the time. Um, and I do so many mental health stories. I'm the ultimate hypocrite. I'm all about black men's mental health, promoting black men's mental health, doing interviews with mental health specialists, processing us through our trauma, never doing it myself. Mm. Never thinking I need to do it myself. Making oath. It, they, need, they all need to do it, but I can handle it. No, I needed it. So I, I, I booked a therapist for September. I'm taking that step. And so, you know, um, we all need to do that. Racial trauma is real. It's not healthy and not normal to see all this stuff playing out and losing our legends and our icons like Chadwick Boseman, um, who fought so silently, but fought for us. Ah, it hurt, man. So I know, yeah, I felt it. I felt it hard. It's been a really, really rough life, pandemic, and week. David Show, we got Brandon. Follow him at TV. Um, listen, I know it's early. And wait, let me say this real quick. Um, one, when you talked about uh, mental health, yeah. I, I've, I've too been thinking about that I need to talk to someone. But on the physical side, uh, I had a colonoscopy probably a decade ago. Yeah. Um, and it's actually, I should have had another one probably a few years ago. Uh, so I'm definitely, and the only reason I kind of haven't had it uh, this year was because of COVID-19. I didn't initially early on in the year want to go into the hospital. A lot of people been yeah, yeah, pushing off yeah. appointments they need. Exactly. Like cancer and like the cancer, it's, it's, cancer is down because people aren't going to the hospital. Right. Um, 
But uh, I'm definitely going to set up my appointment, um, and it's something that all of us need to, to definitely make sure we check out. When you hit that age, because it was just one, I was just going to get checked out. They, they, they offered me to do it, and I actually had polyps. So it was good that I had it because I wouldn't, I, those pops would have been here to this day right right now. So that's also uh, just to put that out there as far as people need to make sure, especially people of color and us need to make sure we do it. It's early, but um, initially when it came to uh, Chadwick Boseman and Black Panther, the, the franchise, I was like, kill it. When we died, I was like, I'm done. No one can do it. I don't even want to do it. I did. I'm like, I'm done. No. Cut the cameras. Yeah. All I'm going to think about is what Chadwick would have been doing this. And, and not even just that, because that makes it seem, it, it makes it just seem like just low-hanging fruit because he meant, he meant so much more than just an actor playing a role. And you know what I'm saying? I don't know if people can grasp that because, I mean, I love that movie. So I think when, I think actually one of the first times we interviewed you, you had seen it like three times at that yeah. point. Well, yeah. it interviewed you, um, but now I realize how important it is, especially seeing uh, the tweets that, that, that Jamel Hill put out. Um, and it was like, you know, I, she's right. You know what I'm saying? And I knew they weren't going to stop making them because they make too much money. All right. So I, I knew that. But how do you feel about the franchise moving forward with somebody else picking up that mantle? Yeah, Disney got to keep it going. There's no, they can't, you know, uh, Black Panther is probably at this point their most successful money maker right? From toys and, and merchandise and all that. And Disney didn't expect it to take off the way it did. Um, I think Marvel Studios head Kevin Feige has kind of hinted at that. Like it kind of took him a little bit by surprise that this hero was the one that surpassed Iron Man, you know? Uh, but he has. Um, and so how do you continue that? I don't think you recast the role. At least... Ugh. Not immediately. I think right, you, right. the popular theory is you put Shuri into the role of the new Like the comic book. Yeah, like in the comic book. You can CG Chala in there, but he can be in his Black Panther costume, right? Um, you can kind of finagle with that. Um, and there's some other, other avenues, too, where you could bring Killmonger back and maybe try to have him take up the mantle. Um, but it's going to be a tough rewrite. It's going to be a really tough rewrite. Um, but you can't have the Marvel Universe without them. Because at this point, Wakanda and Black Panther are such a big part of what they've done. Wakanda I, forever, I, man. All the way. Wakanda forever. Look, because we only got a little bit more time. So I, I have to ask you about the HBO series Lovecraft Country. <laughs> when my text thread, there have been mixed emotions about it. Uh, I've enjoyed it. The first, I actually enjoyed the last episodes more than I enjoyed the first episode. Right now, the last episode is, is my favorite of the three. Uh, but what are your thoughts so far on Lovecraft Country? Man, that first episode was like a movie. I, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. I like the, just the concept. I love that we're taking these stories that weren't made for us and these, these concepts that weren't made for us and flipping it and, and centering ourselves. And that's what Lovecraft Country is doing. H.P. Lovecraft was a flaming racist. Mm. It's rumored that a lot of his creations as monsters and aliens are supposed to be people of color. Really? Right? That's, what, that's what people think. Um, and in that first episode, even, they read a poem from H.P. Lovecraft where he's talking about, uh, you know, black people using the N-word and stuff like that. In the same way he talks about these monsters that he's created. So to see a show be created with that, you know, what he's created with the sci-fi genre. He's so embedded in the sci-fi genre 
that you kind of have to, you, you gotta, you can't stay away from it. But then you center black people, something he would just hate. He would hate watching this show. He would hate it. It would make his blood boil. He'd sue. <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. Uh, episode one was good. Episode two was a little uh, interesting back and forth for me. Episode three, I liked it, but I'm a I'm a Christian man. They they playing with spirits and demons now and seances. I was like, oh, I wasn't ready for all that. So now I'm like, what's episode four going to bring it? Because everyone's been different. <laughs> Look, so basically, H.P. Lovecraft is like the gentleman that owned the house as far as when she was standing in the house and she was yelling at her to be where to get out of his house, get out of his house. Basically when you're talking about, he would sue if this necessarily took place. That is, that's a really good uh, way to look at it. I think that's kind of what I connected to. Um, It was creepy. It was haunting. I love Journey Smollett. She's obviously the better Smollett. Obviously. Listen, I think about that all the time when I watch it and it makes me think about Full House too, but I'm like, oh, she's the better Smollett, right? Like, oh, Clearly, and a baddie, and just great at her job. I just, I love Journey. I'm feeling great name too. I'm feeling. <laughs> all right, all right, bro. Last one. The David Show. Brandon Pope sitting here with me. Follow him at B Pope. Of course, he's from the Jams, Porter and Anchor. Uh, what did you think about Brandon? But Brandy versus Monica. Ah, man. You know, I love when the black community can get together and have our little, our little kikis and have a good time. I'm a big 90s R&B fan, so for me, like everybody, I'm sure you were hyped too, seeing those two heavyweights. Uh, I'm team Brandy. I tend to lean more with Brandy's discography. Um, I know more of her songs, um, but they're both great. I thought it was hilarious watching them act like they like each other and that awkwardness that was going on. And Brandy was trying and Monica really wasn't having it, and you, she just did a bad job of even trying to make things warm towards the end. She kind of gave up there when it came to doing the boy is mine. She's like, they didn't even pick up the mic. They didn't even pick up the mic. Just, girl, let's end this. That's how she felt. So, you know, I think Brandy won, in my opinion. I know that's controversial. People were debating back and forth. Brandy had some song selections I was kind of scratching my head with, like, why'd you pick that song? You have, like, you still have these tracks you can get through, right? That just shows how deep her discography is. They could have saved the old the new stuff, though. They could have stopped, not played any of that new stuff. Look, so, <laughs> this is this is me. I'm probably I'm probably Brandy leaning too because actually uh, that boy is mine album. When well, actually the song, but remember uh, Monica came out. Her album was titled "The Boy The Boy Is Mine." Shady. That, yeah, but that but see that's why I think she was mad when uh, Brandy talked about the story of "The Boy Is Mine." Like that's my song. I put your ass on. She wrote it. Yeah, that's what made her like, oh, you little. But the thing was that Brandy album that came out was so banana bananas that like I, I remember still to this day, me and the lady just talking about the the A and R work on that album and just how like those songs. Uh, so uh, I think probably I'll say this: I think Monica may have more hits. Now there may be a level to those hits because. Brandy, more Brandy is a bigger, bigger star, and I, I don't know how many times you can say that Monica's songs break out of the black community. So I'm saying like there may be a level to. I think she has more hits because she didn't play some of the songs I like, like from the first album, like Cruising and stuff like that. Uh, but I'm with you. I felt that I felt like Monica could have ran Brandy down, right? But mm-hmm. Monica started playing too many new songs. They both was playing a new stuff. But I, I looked though later. I'm like, wait, hold up. She just let Brandy just take over. Like, what? What are you doing, basically? So I'm with you. At the end of it, I felt like Brandy uh, won, 
And yeah. it's funny, we were having this discussion and I was trying to say, because she was saying that it was more Brandy doing too much. And what I said was, well, I think Brandy, I said, anytime you have to deal with a bully uh, or someone that's aggressive, you keep going at them because you don't want that, especially you don't want people to think 20 years from now, 20 years later, that this lady has been been bullying you. We still know the Dallas Austin story when he said, because yeah. that's, what, that's what Brandy thought Monica meant when she said, I kicked down doors. And she was like, what? Huh? You ain't kicked down my door. She thought she was talking about that Dallas Austin situation when yeah. Brandy doesn't know. Allegedly, Brandy hauled, Monica hauled off and hit Brandy. Uh, or whatever. That's what Dallas Austin, the producer, had put out there. But yeah, I'm totally with you. It got awkward. You know what? Yeah. What else I liked? I know we're running out of time here, but I mentioned this quickly. I loved having kind of the throwbacks to the great soundtracks in the '90s. Both of these ladies were on some great soundtracks. And the thing about '90s soundtracks is a lot of times they just have some great songs that had nothing to do with the movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> think about it. Monica had that song on the Space Jam album, right? For you, I will. Mm-hmm. What does that have to do with Space Jam? Nothing. 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 But I think great about soundtrack. Listen, it's funny you bring that up because it makes me think about the video. And I think the video had like the stage kids that were supposed to be Mike's kids and then whatever. It was, supposed to, it was just like, like you said, it had really nothing to do with it whatsoever. But yeah, definitely a great soundtrack. It was funny you brought up soundtrack. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll let it go on this one. It that was also something I don't know if Marvel thought when it came to Black Panther. I know they, when they let. Uh, Kendra do it, they knew it was going to be hot, but just how that that soundtrack, that that's a 90s soundtrack, basically. You know, yeah. as far as how many hits and the amount of work that was put into it. It wasn't like two songs on it and get it out of here. Like, that was a, that was a 90s soundtrack. Great album. Yes, Great dude. standalone album. Definitely. Same with that Beyonce, uh, the Gift album for yeah. the Lion King that she got to do. Like, Disney really lets these artists kind of just take it. They're trying to bring them back, bring back the soundtracks. You have to, man. You got to let these kids know about the love. And they, they, they don't got enough love in their life with all this auto-tune. You can't love on no auto-tune. That's, that's no- <laughs> hey, I've done a few love. I've done some loving on some auto-tune. You can find a way. Okay, can- sir. Okay, yeah. sir. Okay, so I, I'll go with you on that one. I'll go with you. <laughs> Brandon, Brandon, real quick. When, when, when does the jam, we look for the jam in my house. When can I consistently find the jam? Yeah, we are uh, leaving mornings. Um, and we're going to be on at 6 p.m. Uh, from now on. So we're in the process of uh, launching the show. We haven't officially started the full uh, relaunch. But, yeah, that's that's going to be the new move. We, they announced we're going to move it to 6 p.m. time slot. So look for us on CW26 and WCIU. Same fun, same style, um, but from home. So we're going we're gonna to keep, keep it going, keep it rolling. Listen, follow me at TV. Uh, make sure you tune into the jam. As he just said, it's going to be on 6 p.m. moving forward. That's CW Channel 26. If you got cable, Xfinity, that's Channel 13. Um, he always tells us down. I look forward to you returning in the future. I'm going to hit you up, brother. But listen, out here in these times, definitely be safe, Brandon, all right? Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Appreciate you always. Back at you. Another all right, the Davis Show, and you know what it's time to do. It's time to go to Ryan B. Ski and go up for grabs. Up for grabs. Ryan, what you got? Let's start off with uh, a legend, John Thompson. When I was nine, my parents remodeled our old basement into a rec room with a Betamax recorder. The first game we taped was Georgetown versus North Carolina in the 1982 NCAA championship. It was a historic game. Michael Jordan! Carolina won, and my beloved Georgetown lost. 
Michael Jackson, my hometown hero from my high school, was on his way to Georgetown. Everyone on Georgetown's bench was black. I was instantly part of Hoya Paranoia. It was the 80s, the Reagan era, not the heyday for black people. But here was John Thompson who represented excellence, hope, a future, and his teams were winners. Georgetown, that's the ball game, the national champion. He graduated his players, beat his opponents, and stood for principles only a few others in basketball ever did. I don't have any problem with people questioning what we do. I have a problem if they don't understand that we are educating young kids. Because he thought it was discriminatory, he walked off the court to protest Proposition 48, where college freshmen were not allowed to play if their academic standing was not at a certain level. As a basketball historian, he represented a continuation of the legacy of the black pioneer, John McClendon, the first great black coach whom Coach Thompson referenced when he won his first championship in 1984. In 1988, I was a sophomore in high school and John Thompson was actively recruiting me. I will never forget his presence, his size, his demeanor in small high school gyms in Northern Virginia and throughout the DMV. He was a winner. He was a living hero. For many black players who had no male role model, he provided a strong presence that influenced a generation. My mom went to Georgetown and begged him to give me a chance. And he did. Coach Thompson was saving my life. He was bold, stubborn, relentless, but he had to be. Pioneers show those traits. I hate that I'm like this in front of you right now, man. No, no. I respect you for showing these emotions. You're putting the burden of this team on your shoulders, aren't you? His legacy lives on not only in those who played for him, but in all coaches who emulate him today. But as much as he opened doors for black head coaches, too often they are not given the time, the understanding, or the benefit of the doubt afforded to non-black coaches. The last time I saw him was at the 2019 NCAA tournament where he was broadcasting for Westwood One Radio. His broadcast booth was right next to ours, and it was my personal joy to broadcast the NCAA games alongside him, enjoying the excitement of the tournament. Throughout these shared moments, his trademark humor, wisdom, and insights were always on display. There will never, ever be another John Thompson. His impact and influence looms large over the game of basketball and will for generations. Thank you, Coach Thompson, for being proudly Black, shattering barriers, and being the role model that I and so many young athletes needed. Rest in peace and rest in power. Unfortunately, passed away and uh, is a major figure when it comes to both college basketball and NBA basketball, but just overall to black women, men, children everywhere with his impact and influence. Another tough loss just on the heels of Chadwick Boseman. Uh, mm -hmm. Just wanted to get your thoughts on John Thompson. Personally, for me, I didn't know him until he was a broadcaster and he became quickly one of my favorite broadcasters. So definitely losing him and his great mind and then hearing about all the great stuff he's done that I didn't quite know about. Uh, certainly a favorite guy of mine and now an even better guy to kind of idolize and definitely going to be missed for sure. What were some of the things that you heard that you didn't know about? Uh, I, I didn't know about his 
persistence to I am the, the when people would ask him being the first black coach to win a national title, he said, no, I'm the first coach trying to just put the emphasis that there would have been a lot of other black coaches that would have won had they been given the opportunity. So he took umbrance with the fact that being labeled the first felt it was disrespectful for the people that came before him. And then knowing, I guess I was around with Allen Iverson's Hall of Fame speech, but I don't remember with him and John Thompson and how much John Thompson saved AI's life. Like we don't have AI without John Thompson and, Right. And just how stand up he was about all the racial issues coming out and like being like you're talking about or that you've mentioned and multiple people have. Georgetown was looked at as an HBCU, even though they were not because of John Thompson and right. what he was able to do in terms of recruiting, in terms of winning. And this is a time when we've talked about on the flip. This is the Bush or I'm sorry, the Reagan era. Like this is one of the most divisive times since Jim Crow South. So for him to, I guess, bring that spotlight, for him to be a pioneer when he was one of the few that could actually use his platform to try to further along uh, what we're fighting now today, he's, uh, he's definitely one of the strongest and one of the first. And Prop 48, which got rid of uh, due to testing and other reasons, which usually affected minority kids going into yes. as athletes where they would have to sit out their, their freshman year. Uh, he was a he wasn't a he, he was a big proponent of that. Uh, so yeah, I mean, just a just a huge figure being a young black male growing up, a uh, huge figure, man. Like, dude, John Thompson meant everything to us. And I mean, I was a North Carolina fan because of Michael Jordan. I mean, at the time, remember, I'm so young that I wasn't watching Big East, uh, Big East uh, basketball, uh, and that's the thing. Like I said, with the gear that made you think it was an HBCU. Uh, because that was the vibe back in those times. Um, just dude, man, it, it just someone that, again, that felt like he was your uncle, though he was cool, but you didn't mess with him because, you know, he'd pop you upside your head and let you know uh, where you were going wrong. And sometimes you probably needed to know where you were going wrong. You mentioned Allen Iverson. Um, I, I think I said this on uh, Sean and Maya. Uh, dude, Allen Iverson could have went to any school if they took him in. Because remember, like, uh, I believe AI's mama went to John Thompson. Was like, please, yes. please take my son. Uh, Begged him. Would that? Would that? Would would that? Would, would that coach been able to get through to Allen Iverson? Or you know what I'm saying? You know, so mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like he he set him on a course that Allen Iverson is still here today. And I'm not joking when I'm saying that. Just from self destruction and hard living, uh, being out there. You know what I'm saying? So and making mistakes while you're young. And that's just one person. I mean, the, the litany of sinners, um, when you're talking about Kimbe, Alonzo, and Ewing, you know what I'm saying? Um, uh, Sleepy Floyd, and that's not a sinner, it's a guard, but just the players that he put in the league. Um, and remember, too, for anyone that's listening that doesn't know, the big man was king at the time when John Thompson great, was around. Great fact, great facts. And he was raising them. He, he was shooting them out like it was nothing. All right. Uh, so uh, definitely, I, 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 again, uh, somebody that was here for his, his his race, here for any race. I'm not just making it, for his, but for his bright people, he did right by him. Um, and we wish him and his family nothing but the best. Um, I hope this trans his transition uh, was easy, and I hope that as you guys, you know, find some 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 light times to kind of smile and think about the good times with your family member that you had and John Thompson and we wish him uh, wish some rest in the power, man. Yeah, rest in power, John Thompson. 
definitely loved him as a broadcaster. I can't say that enough because I pretty much hate all broadcasters. <laughs> <laughs> One of the few that I've loved. Oh, you're talking about uh, the game. <laughs> basically. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to my second up for grabs. We'll stick uh, with basketball. And uh, there was a report that came out. Donald Trump even acknowledged it in his own divisive way, but the NBA ratings are down and this is continuing a trend of them being down kind of nationally. Obviously we know they're down locally in their markets just because of COVID and the pandemic going on, but even in the bubble, the ratings are down. How do you feel about it? Is that a big deal? Does it matter? And do you have any thoughts on why that might be? Um, I think our first thought will be because of all the social justice that you turn some fans off. Um, I, def- I think even if you don't believe that, that has to have played some part of it. Um, but I'll say this. You know what? I'm happy you brought this up. And I, I, I did think about this, and I wasn't going to say it today. You know, one of the reasons the ratings are down for the NBA, hmm. playing, they're playing the games during the damn daytime. We used to get games at night when we were off work. So let's just say the people that – some people's kids are in school now. have already started school, let alone it, depending on where, what they do, if, they, they, if their job is not social distance, and we're not, not to say social distance, if they're not shuttering in place. And then pa- 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 parents that are lucky enough to work remotely, they're working. So, And I guess you could say you had a game on in the background. So I do think that's been a big effect when games have been coming on at 1 o'clock. Who's used to watching basketball? Like, you know, be honest, like, okay, we do sports and we're guys, right? So, of course, we're going to be into it. But, like, if you're a casual fan, you're not turning into no one o'clock basketball game. Like, you're like, I'm going to watch tonight's game. I got other stuff necessarily to do. So, I think playing the game, I mean, they're, they're playing games at, at one, then they're playing again, what, at, at three or, or 3.30, basically. Those uh-huh. games aren't going to get those views that prime time – Basketball gets. So I, I, I think that's a large factor in it that's not been taken into consideration. Well, from, since I haven't heard being taken into consideration, let me not say it hasn't been taken into consideration. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, to me, and you kind of re- rebuffed this in our production meeting, I guess, if you will. Um, I just, I've been noticing people are streaming the NBA a lot more. And I don't know if that's a newer thing since COVID at all. I wonder if maybe some people cut the cord just to mm. save some money, switched mm. over to maybe some streaming that's not, services. That's not a bad idea. I'll give you that one. That's not a bad idea. I, I just feel like when I've heard people or I've been talking to people about NBA, you know, if I do a FaceTime with a friend or anything, everybody's streaming NBA. Nobody's using traditional, let me get the remote, bunny ears, or even just a Comcast box. No one's using that. And I believe the ratings are just about television and not taking into the fact that the streaming numbers so that might be an explanation as well. Uh, I do like your point with the early in the day. I mean, you're talking 4.30 central time start for an NBA playoff game. That's not exactly prime time. People are still working. Even right. if you're working from home, you can't just necessarily turn on the TV potentially. Right. So, um, and listen, let's, let's just also the elephant in the room again. Some people don't want to see that Black Lives Matter all over the place. And I'm not saying that that I'm that person because I'm black, all right? Um, Mm -hmm. Some people... But do you think, uh, like, everybody said this with kneeling with the anthem with the NFL and then the ratings were down and people were blaming on that. But do you think the audience for the NBA is as, like, that demographic that turned it off as the NFL? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. You, you got to because I agree with you. A hipper audience, turn it off. but still, but you got to think about this. Um, you got people, especially in the playoff times, 
And this also goes to what I was saying, that they probably don't start watching NBA sometime into the playoffs. You know what I'm saying? And also, baseball is going on. So talking about daytime, they and they play in the daytime. So you're used to watching them play during the True. day. How often, outside of what, the, 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 the playoffs, so the playoffs would be the only time that you really probably be stealing those baseball fans away because it's playoff time. But now you got the games. And, and, and again, you would still get games in the, during the daytime for baseball and you can watch your basketball at night or depending on if your team played at night. But you still have that option. And now they're going on at the same time. So you're running over into the baseball season. The NBA's been talking about we can take on baseball. Or we'll see. And I don't know baseball's numbers right now off top. Uh, speaking of the segment, off time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I still think it's, it still has to do with some people who turned away by the social justice because even going along with what you were saying, that the NBA has a quote-unquote hipper crowd, right? Even with the hipper crowd, it doesn't necessarily mean that they want you to put social justice on them. And, I mean, for us, it's what is right. But, we, but if, if everyone felt it was right, it wouldn't be a movement that needed to take place. So, that, I mean, what's the thing about, you know, saying silence isn't uh, enough, being anti-racist is enough? You got, mm-hmm. you, you got some people that are silent and who still necessarily don't get it. And we see it from, we're like, we, we only sometimes we see the people that are like in these caravans in Portland and, you know, with uh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Th- th- yeah, that's the extreme. But what about the people in the middle and even the fair weather people that are kind of like, you know what, I don't feel like. You know what I'm saying? Like that's how pe- that's how people can be. You know, I don't feel like it. I'm like, I, it's enough. Mm-hmm. I I turn on the television. I turn the news on. It's on now. I'm basketball. It's on. And again, I'm not. I don't yeah. feel this way. I'm just try. I try to jump into the head of people and try to figure out how to think. Well, that's how I can get at them. <laughs> well, what's the what's the cliche? We need sports as a timeout from life. A pause right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so I want to pause from all this. Yeah. So yeah. And, but yeah. you also think too, like. It is August. It's the last bit of like summer. People are definitely out more than they've really ever been in 2020 at any right. point. During the daytime like, and nighttime. But the NBA doesn't play in August. It's not the NBA fan is in tune to like, I know June after the first week, we got NBA finals, baby. It's uh-huh. time to start revving it up. August, I mean, does NBA roll off your mind not in really. August? Not really. Uh, my last up for grabs, switching over to football, we got a pair of running backs that are supposedly out on the market. Yes. Bears are looking like a team that might need a running back with David Montgomery down at least two to four weeks with a groin injury. Mm-hmm. And he did that last week in practice. So if he were to somehow, which we all know it's very unlikely, if he were to make that two-week deadline, he'd be ready for the opener. If he does not, the Bears will not have David Montgomery in their opening game. And apparently, Alvin Kamara is on the market for trade because he wants to play this year under a new deal, which makes a lot of sense because there might be no money next year. And for a running back, you kind of want money, especially when he's going to be a free agent next year. Correct. This is the last year of his rookie deal. Uh, Leonard Fournette officially cleared all waivers, so he's completely free to be picked up by anybody. Doesn't really seem to fit the Bears' style, but what do you think? Should the Bears pursue either of these guys, or yes. are they fine at running back? Let me start off with Alvin Kamara, uh, or Kamara. I don't know which one is which. Um, no, the Bears shouldn't. He would fit terrifically, um, but the problem is he wants a big deal, right? 
And so I don't even see – and I listen, I'll be shocked. If pay, listen, and also, how many uh, draft picks are y'all constantly giving up? So one is the guy that you have to give up draft collateral when you need to build depth and find guys that some of these guys are aging out and getting hurt. You can replace them with cheap labor, too, as you got all these contracts. Don't forget, uh, 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 Robert Quinn just signed a huge deal this offseason, and we don't expect him to see the end of that contract with the Khalil Mack deal with – but. Mm-hmm. Fuller uh, and Nick Foles is making like twenty or eight right, mil this year. Right, right, and I mean, and look, and don't don't forget, Mitch was the the the, the second pick in the draft. Was it right. third or the second? Second pick in the draft. Yeah. So he's getting not, he's getting decent change being the second pick in the draft. I know it's on a scale system compared to when it was uh back in the days with Sam Bradford, but still he's getting a little bit of change. So that's why with the Kamara, I couldn't see them doing it. If they did, I'd be like, y'all some. Y'all going for it. I necessarily don't know if I would do it, but y'all are definitely going for it. Um, now, to get to uh, Leonard Fournette, he doesn't fit the system. I'll say that, but he caught 70-something passes last year, right? From from our guy, Garter Minshew. Don't forget that, right? Our guy? Yeah, because I, <laughs> I can see you with some jokes. Our guy. I know you like. I know you probably got on some jorts right now, right? Oh, I wish. No, okay. No, I'm not full Minshew. Okay, full, the full Minshew. <laughs> uh, not the full Minshew. Not the full Minshew. But uh, listen, I would. They definitely should sign Leonard Fournette. One, you just stated it. He clean. He cleared waivers. You know what that meant? Nobody wants to pay him four million dollars. Think about that. Everybody was like, you know what? No, I like you, but I'm one. I'm not giving. I'm not trading. Well. You, you didn't have to trade for him if you picked him up off of waivers, but you still had to honor that last that last year in his, his deal. Uh, nobody wants to pay him $4 million. Guess what? He's not going to get paid $4 million to rush this year. You know, now I've heard that perhaps he would be uh, just above uh, 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 the, the, the average salary, um, league minimum is what I should say. Uh, and uh, Maybe he'll get a little bit more than that. But the thing is, and we said this with the Bears, they need they need a forceful runner anyway. Like, he should, be, he should be there with David Montgomery if David Montgomery was healthy. Now, he may not want to do that because he wants to get as many reps. He's, he needs a lather. That style of running back needs to build up a lather and really let, wear down a team. But still, um, I, he definitely, the Bears should pick him up. He, he, he did catch balls last year. Uh, pause. Um, <laughs> but you need a guy, dude, that especially when you don't know how good this offensive line is, Dude, I'm going to knock somebody down and I'm going to get loose. I do think best fit and where he may end up, if I was him, is um, probably the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, they haven't had that style of runner since uh, – Probably Le'Veon at the minimum. No, since Blount was there with Le'Veon. Oh, uh, LeGarrette Blount? LeGarrette Blount. LeBlount. Thank you, Blount. LeGarrette Blount. They haven't had – Blount. <laughs> you know he's smoking that blunt, that blunt. You're Come right. on. <laughs> <laughs> I never forget when LeGarrette Blount knocked that kid out uh, in college. Uh, that was talking that, uh, talking all that trash. Uh, but still, um, dude, dude, they should go after LeGarrette Blount, man. And listen, they should take their egos out of it, pace, ego, being that – I want to prove that my running back is the guy and he's hurt right now. And Nagy being like, well, this isn't necessarily what my system is about. It's not necessarily what your system is about. It's about winning. I said this on uh, What's Up Cuz last night. A uh, shout out to uh, Lance and Jason. Um, that, dude, fundamentals are important. I know you want to show how brilliant you are with your passing game, but you need to be able to do what you need to do so to implement your will on teams. And I mentioned Andy Reid of the past when he had Brian Westbrook. Uh, and with the Eagles, and we used to just be like, man, come on, run that ball, run that mm-hmm. run. Stop trying to do all this West Coast issues. Sometimes just run the rock, just run the rock uh, compared to when you look at the Super Bowl 
And when, when, when Patrick Mahomes had the yips, man, old Andy Reid would have threw, threw, threw caution to the wind. And was like, yeah. up that pad, sling that rock around. Yeah. Let's he, make the, the drops deeper. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew. He, he stuck to the fundamentals and rolled out to when Patrick Mahomes finally got that nervousness out of him being on the biggest stage and playing his first worst game, basically, in the NFL. And they got a Super Bowl out of it. They they do they look they won the game like the last ten minutes basically. You know what I'm saying? And old Andy Reid wouldn't have pulled that off. So that's what I, I need Matt Nagy to do is to look at. Yeah, I know what you like, but this is what you need. And y'all can get him now. Listen, what I would do is whoever's offering him the most, I'm gonna get shutty about. I'm gonna give him a half half deal more than that. And you know what I'm saying? Like that's that's what it's for him because. I, but I don't know who has an empty backfield because of course that's what he would want. And it's too late in the year for people to have empty backfields. But still, mm-hmm. as far as not having a, a lot of good enough talent in the backfield is what I'm trying to say. Of course, there's somebody in the running back room. But uh, no, dude, I'm gonna go get Leggett Blood because that's the type of dude they need. Leonard Fournette. Thank you. You, you got Blunt in my head. Now. <laughs> Where's your mind at? <laughs> we got to get off pretty soon, huh? Oh, <laughs> uh, they don't test me over here. But um, so yeah, man. No, I, that that to me is just common sense. And this is the thing too. There, you're in your window. We talked about the defense well, even last week or the week before. And the defenses don't last long. You're in your window. If what helps the defense? A running game. Uh-huh. Letting their ass sit over there on the bench while I'm sitting here pounding on this defense, letting you guys get that rest, right? That's what helps the defense, man. I, I, yeah, we all like passing, and you can still pass. And this is another thing. Let me say this, too. All right, Mitch Trubisky's best plays are probably play-action passes, right? Nick Foles is a play-action pass quarterback. Let's not forget when Carson Wentz came back from injury after almost winning the MVP, but he blew out his knee that year. Allegedly, there was rumors that he was upset that they were running Nick Foles, quote-unquote, plays. They were basically too simple, and he wanted something that was more complex, similar to what he had when he almost won MVP prior to getting hurt and Tom Brady winning it. All right? So Nick Foles is a play-action pass quarterback. You know what I'm saying? And he loves the RPO, play-action. It, how are you gonna? How are you gonna do play action when nobody believes in your run game, right? Like I'm not. We're not. Dude, we don't. We don't believe you. You're gonna have to show me you can run before we start biting on this play action. Yes, you need to go and sign Leonard Fournette. Like that. That's real talk. It's, I mean, just look at. Listen, the Vikings over there signing Vike. I mean, the Vikings getting Jaguar players beefing up their defense. Yeah. In Yahweh. Dude, like when I saw that, I was like, not the damn Vikings, right? Like, ah, no. They needed them. <laughs> right. So, yeah, you you need to go ahead and get him and put him in your locker room. If he was disgruntled, you have a strong enough locker room where this running back isn't going to tear your running, uh, locker room apart. He isn't like uh, bringing in uh, uh, Tony, uh, Antonio Brown, uh, who is just a huge, huge personality, let alone could be troublesome. Uh, so, yeah, man, I'm, I'm all day on the LeGarrette Blunt one. And listen, I'd be happy if they signed Alvin Kamara, but also look at his injury history. Like, part of the reason that Saints don't want to sign him is because they didn't get what they got, what they wanted to get out of him last year, and they know his medical's better than all of us. Uh-huh. So they know, like, yeah, nah, Shuddy, we got, we got what we need to get up out of you, basically, right? So I know one people, I know one person that'll be happy or team that'll be happy, and that will be uh, the top of – the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, if Alvin Kamara, <laughs> yes, break up yes. some of that cohesion that they have with the Saints have compared to them being uh, running this new Tom Brady uh, style offense up there. So uh, yeah, dude, the double A. Uh, but yeah, dude, I'm I'm all in for living for now. Uh, 
I'm going to disagree with you. And it's not because of anything that you said. It's just, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, so Alvin Kamara, if he was a free agent like Leonard Fournette, I would definitely go Alvin Kamara. But you have to trade for him and you have to pay him money. Mm. I'm not a big fan of that for the Bears. Uh, especially when you have to, besides the stuff you brought up with the big contracts, uh, if Mitch Trubisky is pretty good, you have to sign him too. And he ain't going to be cheap if he's good. Now, that we don't think that's going to happen, mm-hmm. but that could happen. And then you've got a host of other areas. Like, we don't know if any of the tackles are any good. You might have to get brand new tackles, and you might have to eat some dead cap money in order to do that. And that means you can't spend extra money on a running back when really you can find those guys potentially everywhere. They haven't been able to do that, though. Very true. With Leonard Fournette, the only problem I have, because I'm with you, like, I think it would be great for them to sign him and figure out a role for him, but – you hit so many points on the head. I think Matt Nagy's still in old Andy Reid system. He is passing. He is passing. He is not going to run the football. And I don't believe he's going to run the football. Like, we think that he's going to develop and change it. I think it's going to be kind of similar to last year. I think he's trying to show us who he is as a coach. And he wants to develop that passing game to set up the run more so than get the run to set up the pass. So in that vein, does Leonard Fournette really fit? From what I've heard, he has a real problem with the route tree. He's good at swings and just being out in the flat. That's where he's getting his receptions, but he's not a good route runner. So that's not going to help him, I think, in this system. The other thing, he doesn't have breakaway speed, and we already don't have that with David Montgomery. I think it might be better to wait for more running backs to be cut and see if there's a guy that fits your system a little bit better. And then the other thing, too, with Fournette that you pointed out, he needs a lather. Because from what I've heard from my analysis around the league is that he only runs inside the tackle. He doesn't do much outside, and he's not a huge pass catcher. He is an inside-the-tackle runner. I just don't see Matt Nagy really giving him that many carries doing that, especially if he's number two on the depth chart. Well, one, he won't be number two long because Montgomery won't be there probably at the beginning of the year, and how much can we trust him staying healthy with a broad injury? You know what I'm saying? True. And, and I'm, that might never go away all year. Exactly. Tariq Cohen, we know. Yeah, I think a few, few touches. That's it. Yeah, and, and I think I think somebody like Leonard Fournette helps Tariq Cohen um, beca- uh, because one, you know, what I'm saying you, you, they got to focus on what's going on in that backfield. You can do a lot of those tricks with throwing him out as a receiver. Um, I'm not a one for Cordero Patterson taking up too many more of those carries. He's too tall, he doesn't know the nuances of the run game like that. I think, and he's not running back. I know. I think they misused him last year. I thought Cordero Patterson should have been used in space a lot more. I thought that's what they, they were going to do when they brought him in. Um, so, dude, I, I think it, that would be the move. Especially, this is the thing. I'm not even talking about making him happy all the time. That's what I'm saying. Like, give him a little bit more bread than whoever would sign him and let him know, like, look, you, it's going to be some times, man, you're not going to be seeing the rock. But when I say that, not like times where we were like, why didn't Jordan Howard get to run at all? I'm just talking about – that game plan didn't fit. Maybe they were just down, uh, so it became a passing game. You know what I'm saying? But, dude, you, you need a bat- – they need a battering ram, man. They, they do. They really need a battering ram. And we, we don't know if that's David Montgomery. He's tough as nails. David Montgomery is tough as nails. I've always said that. He, 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 we know he's going to try not to go. He's like an old Peyton footage in Earl Campbell. And I'm not saying he's as good as them, but I'm just saying how relentless he is not to try to go down, which I always say uh-huh. about him getting hurt uh, sitting there uh, being a standing duck. Uh, but still, dude, um, no, nah, man, I think that would be one. We haven't talked about Devontae Freeman, though. You 
Devontae Freeman is out there. I like him a lot better, personally. I, w- but I, I, I wouldn't be mad you at that You've hit so many perfect points. Like, we got to remember this going into the future because if you were running the Bears, I'd feel really good right now because I think you've got to get back to more of a 50-50 run game. Let's really establish the run game because our quarterbacks really benefit from a run game. They're not Aaron Rodgers. They're not Patrick Mahomes. They're not Deshaun Watson. They would benefit greatly from a run game. I just don't think any of that's going to happen. We can just look back on this maybe in a few months and be like, How'd that Leonard Fournette not signing him go for you? I feel the same way you feel, bro. I feel the exact same way. Like, dude, sometimes you, you need to do what's best for you, and it may not uh, look as pretty as you want it to be, but if it's what's best for you, you need to go that route. And sometimes fundamentals just work. And, you know, he, now you just got to listen to us. You go through this one year of running the ball 60% of the time, and you're throwing up in behind closed doors. You pick up Trey Lance, and then you start throwing that ball around. <laughs> right. <laughs> totally, totally, totally. Is that off up for grabs? That's all I got for up for grabs. All right. Listen, uh, thanks, Ryan. And we definitely appreciate all of you for sitting here and spending a little bit of time with us. Uh, we're definitely back with the flipping friends. Uh, please continue listening and be safe out there.